0: Uh, Today's reading is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. This is the word of God.
1: You may be seated.
2: And so that's when the heavy, heavy cocaine abuse came in. And I just wanted to disappear. I remember just lighting that pipe and just looking forward to that hit. All of a sudden, I heard my ears just ringing really loud. And, like, everything went black. Like, my eyes just shut down. My eyes were wide open, but it went black, and I fell back. And um, I was having a heart attack. The pain in my chest was like, my heart was going... And it was like, I felt like somebody was stabbing me with a knife in my heart, but I couldn't see anything. And all I could remember was that, it, it, you know, there was nothing but blackness around me. And just, I realized, crap, I'm dying. I'm dying. And all I could remember is Jesus. That's all I could think about was God. And I saw my life literally flash before my eyes. And as I call his name, I just said, Jesus. Jesus, I'm, I'm alone. I'm sorry. And come and get me. Save me from myself. I'm sorry. And all I could do was like say sorry. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was a prostitute. I was so ashamed. And the ambulance came. They took me in the hospital and the doctor came over and said, um, do you know how lucky you are? You have a lot of drugs in your system, lady. And you're allergic to narcotics. And he's like, God's with you. And I knew, I knew that um, Jesus heard my prayer.
3: I was in such despair and desperation. I would really cry out to God, you know. And then one night, he appeared to me in a dream. I would go into this beautiful garden and sat on the bench was the Lord Jesus. And I would go to him, we would sit, and we would just talk. I don't even know what we spoke about, but he never, ever once condemned me.
2: I said, Jesus, I just want to see you. I want to know what you look like. I don't care about the movies I've seen. I just want to see you. I want to talk to you, I want to see you. And so he granted my request. I had a dream of him one night. And he came to me, and he didn't look anything like any picture, any person I've ever seen before. He was the most handsome man I've ever seen, beautiful. And he came to me, and went this close to my face and looked into my eyes and read me from a baby until my perfect age that I was. Everything I've done didn't say a word to me and looked at me with love in his eyes like I love you. It was such beauty and
3: such love that emanated from him. I was just, I fell at his feet. I was like a dead person. And believe me, at that particular point in my life, I wasn't scared of much, but I was and it wasn't like a fear he's gonna hit me. It was like who he was, who he really is. And I fell at his feet and I just was I just cried and I said, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I've done. And when I got up, he'd say, Helena, I'm waiting for you. And uh so beautiful so, so gentle so, so gentle and that went on for about six months I I, I was always waiting for him to say a harsh word or condemn me but he didn't
2: he said, I love you you're healed, you're whole, you're delivered. And just like this fire was lit in me. And I just started to weep. And I just realized, God loves me. No matter what I've done, no matter all the mistakes I've made, no matter how many people I've hurt, He still loves me. And He can make something of my life.
1: Maybe you've heard this in a sermon. It's about a, ser- a sermon that, used uh, to talk about falsehood and counterfeits. It's a common illustration. It goes like this. There's the U.S. Treasury Department, and they're training people to identify counterfeit bills. And the illustration goes that the agents in charge doing the training never show their trainees anything but real money, legitimate bills, right? And the reasoning is that by understanding and recognizing the real bills completely, inside it out, up, down, Uh, Every design, every little corner stamp, every number, every watermark, by knowing the real thing, then identifying a counterfeit bill becomes automatic. And they're easily discovered because the real bills have so thoroughly been committed to memory. And you can see why preachers love that, right? Right? Um, study the real thing and you'll never fall for the wrong thing. That's the Christian takeaway. And that's how that, that illustration is used. The problem is the story is just not true. It's not true. A guy named Roger Olson heard that illustration used one time too many, and he decided to check things out. He consulted with, uh, the treasury department's agent in charge of counterfeit training in Minneapolis. And he said, is this true? Do do they train people to identify counterfeits by only showing them the real thing? And the agent laughed. He said, I wonder who would say that, and I also wonder who would believe that. And at Mr. Olson's request, the agent drafted an official letter saying as much that the Treasury Department does use examples of counterfeit money to train their people to identify forged bills. And I'm sure in there, was somewhere in the letter, was that they recently scrapped all their training and instead began issuing yellow highlighters. Because that's really all you need, right? Have you been to Walmart? yes yellow highlighter i made that up okay i get it but but all you need is really a yellow highlighter in order to get a handle on what something is sometimes it helps us to know what it is not what it is not and that's what john is doing for us here in this text in the middle of the passage that was read in john chapter 1 john chapter 4 there's a line that tells us what counterfeit what the opposite of love is. What is love's counterfeit? What is its opposite? See, if I were to ask the average person uh, what the opposite of love was, there's an automatic response to that. It's an answer that is very common. If I were to ask that to you, what would your answer be? Hate. Yeah, the opposite of love is hate. But John doesn't write that. That's not the right answer, according to John. John puts another idea on the opposite side of love, and he says this. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Did you hear it about four times in there? The opposite of love that John puts forth is simply put, fear. Fear is the opposite Fear becomes the counterfeit of love. And maybe that's a new idea to some of you. The question probably in your mind instantly becomes, well, what would lead John to write that? And the answer is found in the two possible motivations that can drive our love. As we ask ourselves, why do I love other people? When I boil that question down, there's really only two primary motives for me to love anyone in my life. And the first motive, the first reason that I might set about to love another person is this, to get something from them, to get. I think we've all operated from that motive. We probably will again, right? We love other people in order to get something in return. We love somebody, so that down the road we can get something that we're really after. Maybe I need something in my life and I realize that, the, uh, that I can get that something if I act in a certain way towards a certain person. And so that kind of love is based solely on what somebody can do for me. It's based on my hunger. It's based on my need. It's the kind of love that's concerned and caring towards people only to the extent that it can produce what it was really after in the first place. Whatever that thing was that was lacking in my life. And love in this kind of realm becomes manipulative. It uses people. It reduces love to a kind of currency. Right? I'll give you this if you give me that. And after I have given you this, love is gone from my pocket, just like dollar bills. In the Bible, you could think of a lot of different uh, stories to illustrate this. But I like the story in Genesis of Jacob and his uncle Laban. And Jacob has an arrangement with his uncle. He says, I'll work seven years for you if you'll give me your daughter Rachel's hand in marriage. And on the surface, oh man, you read through that story, that seems like true love. I mean, it is romance novel stuff. It's kind of the the stuff we make movies out of. But when you study the story, You realize that Jacob is an incredibly insecure man. He's always needing to prove his worth and his value to others. He's always pretending to be something that he's not in order to get something that he doesn't have. In order to get validation. And so here with Rachel, he's working seven hard years of labor. And the text says it only seemed like a day to him. But the time didn't go so quickly because he loved Rachel for her. It was because he loved himself. He loved her for what he could get in return. Rachel was the trophy wife. He needed to show everyone else once and for all that he was something, that he was special, that he was important, that he was successful, that he was worthy. And he thinks this, here is the one thing. She is the wife that I need that will finally allow me to measure up in everybody else's eyes. If I can just get her. And did he love Rachel? Yes. But he loved her in order to get something he held greater than she. And that kind of love is a huge trap for us. And it's easy to see why. When we love just to get something in return, if we love in the right ways, then we get what we're after. And if we continue in that fake kind of love, we get more in return. And everything seems okay. But watch what happens when we love this way and we don't get what we want. What happens when we love this way for seven years only to find, after our wedding, Leah, the cross-eyed sister, who is with us in the morning. Then that's a different story, right? Our love takes on a different feel. If we don't get what we're after, our love goes away. We love less. And when we love less, we get less. And this perpetual cycle continues feeding itself until it ends destructively. And that's counterfeit love, right? It's what John says is based on fear. It's the fear that we won't get what we really think we need that drives this kind of love. And it's a weed that we need to get rid of in our life. And we can ask questions to ourselves and to our own hearts this way. These would be great questions to ask. Am I loving a person in my life only for something that I will get? Or am I loving them only for a way that I will feel? Or am I loving a person only because there's an outcome that will benefit me? We are not perfect, right? And neither is our love. We will always have these little weeds in our lives that, we're, that need pulled. But our constant goal as we try to follow Christ is to attempt to pull those weeds out and love in a way that's not to get something, but it's in another way. And what's that? The true motive for love is this, to give. As John writes here in this text, he calls it this way of loving the perfect way to love. This is a way to love without fear. This is real love. This is perfect love. It's a freeing kind of love. It's it's instead of love being a love to get something in return, it's a love that's based on a desire to serve and to help and to free somebody from their troubles just for their sake. They're the only reason. Now, that perfect love that John writes about is what we talked about last week. It's the staying put Kind of love. And I can hear your hesitation. No, wait, 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 wait a minute. Uh, you want me to love regardless of whether I get anything in return? I mean, come on. You don't know how the world works. That sounds like I'm making myself a doormat. Let's hold up there a second. And I get that. Being skeptical to jump into this kind of love is absolutely understandable because it's absolutely true that if you are in the staying put kind of love, if you're using the perfect kind of love, then you will be vulnerable. And that's the last word anyone wants to be proud of, right? You ever hear anybody talk about that? What'd you do this week? I worked on being vulnerable. Really? So let's talk that through. When we commit to staying put, when we commit to the perfect love, to to loving regardless of what we get in return, it will open us up to potential hurt and pain and rejection. And it will open us up to being taken advantage of, possibly It will open us up to loss because people are messy. They're like you. They're like me. We make mistakes. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that I want to put in front of you, and it's an amazing thing. He says this, love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one. He says, wrap it up carefully with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket where it's safe and dark and motionless and airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable. It will become impenetrable. It will become irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy or at least to the risk of tragedy is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers and perturbations of love is hell. Now, first, perturbations is an awesome word. You need to use that five times this week, okay? That's great. I challenge you to do that. But do do you get what he's saying? The reason we don't immediately choose to love with this perfect kind of love that John writes about always has to do with some sort of fear. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be taken advantage of. And so the easy route is to make sure that I at least get something in return. Or better yet, I'll just withdraw, and I won't love at all. But in the end, that path ruins my heart. It makes me hard and unable to love. It turns my good heart, my soft heart, into a heart of stone. And if God is love, right, and we choose the opposite of that out of fear, then that puts us far from him. And C.S. Lewis calls that place hell. And he's quite right. The opposite of love is not hate, but fear. There was a king who had a great kingdom. And he was a good king to everyone that lived in his kingdom. And in, in this great kingdom... There lived a little meager carrot farmer, and this little meager carrot farmer had a little meager carrot garden, and he grew little meager carrots, right? But one day, he managed to grow the biggest carrot he'd ever grown. It was like state fair blue ribbon kind of a carrot. It was kind of a carrot that he could have boxed in and charged people admission for and, you know, made made a little money off of. It was that big a carrot. But he decided to do something else. He said, I love my king. And it's the kingdom. It's what the king has done for us that's enabled me to grow this kind of carrot. So I want to give this carrot to the king. And so that's what he did. He marched into the king. And he said, King, I love you. You're the greatest king that this kingdom has ever known. You do so much for us. And I just wanted to do what I could do. This is what I do. I grow carrots. And I just wanted to do what I could do. To love you back. And this is the best carrot I've ever grown here. Would you have it as a token of my love? And as he was walking away. The king stopped him. He said I see how much you love me. Here's what I want to do for you. I want to love you back. I want to give you more land. So that your garden can be bigger. And so that you can grow more carrots. For more people. And the carrot farmer went away rejoicing. Now. Along the side. There was a nobleman, and he was watching this whole thing play out. And he thought to himself, wow, look at what the king gave that guy for a carrot. I raise horses. I wonder what he would give me if I presented him with a horse. And so that night, he went home, and he got his prize stallion. And the next day, he marched in to the king's presence with his horse, And he said to the king, King, I raise horses, and this is the greatest horse I've raised. And you're a great king, and I love you, and so I want to give you the horse as a token of my love. And the king quickly discerned in his wisdom what was going on. And he simply said, Thanks. And he took the horse, and he walked away. The nobleman obviously had a little (laughs) under his breath, and the king stopped. And he turned around. Obviously, he's frustrated. And the king sees his frustration. And he says this. Listen, the gardener yesterday came in here and gave me the carrot. But today you have come in here and you have given yourself the horse. What was he saying? The carrot farmer loved me with perfect love. But you're loving me to get something. You're loving Me, not for me, but for what I can give you. You're loving me from a place of fear. And as you evaluate your relationships today, would you ask yourself those kind of questions? Am I loving this other person in my life for the right reason? Am I loving them for my sake? Or is it for their sake? Is it for their agenda? Just simply because they are who they are. Why do I love this person in my life? Be honest about that and pull some weeds if you need to. Loving people for what you can get out of them is pretty sickening to us. And we don't let it happen for long to us, right? We see through that. But loving someone for who they are, that's beautiful. There's no agenda. They are the agenda. They are the end. There's no other driving force, but they're people in your life that you love. What if I told you today? that that's the way God sees you. He loves you for no other motive other than that you are the beauty in his eyes. Your behavior, maybe it's been less than stellar. Join the club, right? But his love isn't based on that. It's based on you. And it's based on what his son has done on your behalf. And if I told you that, how would you respond? Could you get to the point where you loved God in that same way, loved God for Himself, like He is the end, He is the beauty? You're not loving God because He's answered some prayer, or He's given you a comfortable life, or there's a check in the mail that came yesterday, or that you have a healed body, not any of that, but you're loving Him just because He is God. Would that change how you live? Would it make a difference to know you were obeying a good father instead of a hard nosed boss? And at the end of the day, here's the crazy thing. The two different ways to love have actions that are exactly the same. The carrot farmer gave a carrot. The nobleman gave a horse. What's the difference? It's the motive. The motive is everything. Why do you obey God? Why have you bought into this Christianity thing? So that God could serve you or so that you could serve God. Do you follow Jesus because you love him? Or because you're giving yourself a horse. Romans says it this way. That Jesus came with love for you that was perfect. Very rarely will someone lay his life down for someone that deserves to live. But God showed his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners. While we were enemies of his cross. Christ died for us. He didn't do so out of fear because he needed us. He did so out of love, perfect love, because we needed him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Would you pray with me today? Father, I thank you for this great love that you have given to us. A love that we have a hard time fathoming Because so much of our love is a love to get. If we're really honest with ourselves, the things that we do day in, day out, so much of those things are so that we can get something from somebody else. Father, would you help us to love with the perfect love? That perfect love that you have shown us with your Son hanging on a cross in our place, taking on our punishment. He didn't deserve that. We deserve to die. But He loved us with a perfect love, getting nothing in return. He simply loved with a perfect love. Help us to love that way. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.